Hi, everyone. I'm Craig F. from Langhorn, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. G-O-D, following good orderly direction, I hear more of a higher power out of those group of drunks than I did in the 57 years that I went to church every Sunday in my shirt and tie and looking all proper, but uh, underneath I was a mess. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. We interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. So today I'm joined in the studio by Craig F. from Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Craig, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Michael, thank you so much for asking me. I've been really looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, we get the show started in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read The Daily Reflection. Craig, would you get us started? I'd be happy to. Uh, The Daily Reflection for today, June 23rd, is trusting others. But does trust require that we have to be blind to other people's motives or indeed to our own? Not at all. This would be folly. Most certainly, we would assess the capacity for harm as well as the capacity for good in every person that we would trust. Such a private inventory can reveal the degree of confidence we should extend in any given situation, as Bill sees it, page 144. I am not a victim of others, but rather a victim of my expectations, choices, and dishonesty. When I expect others to be what I want them to be and not who they are, when they fail to meet my expectations, I am hurt. When my choices are based on self-centeredness, I am lonely and distrustful. I gain confidence in myself, however, when I practice honesty in all my affairs. When I search my motives and am honest and trusting, I am aware of the capacity for harm in situations and can avoid these that are harmful. Thanks for reading that, Craig. Before we begin, would you share your sobriety date? Sure, Mike. Uh, My sobriety date is November 1st, 2014. Let's talk about the reflection. Trust is a big issue um, for so many of us when we come in. Talk to me about what this means to you. I couldn't trust any, anything, anyone, myself, Definitely, I had a disconnect with my higher power. I had given God away. I had used him, abused him, cursed him, and all but um, said that my life was completely over. So the trust that I could not have in myself, I just thought that no one wanted to be with me. No one believed in me. And I had all but given God away, but I'm so glad that God get, did not give up on me. So mm-hmm. that trust, even though I lost it, I found it again. 
Yeah. So you're saying today you're you're more able, you're more ready to trust people and trust God? Well, reestablishing a new relationship with God has given me an opportunity to see people who they are and to accept myself. And in, in accepting myself, I can also accept others. And trust has a big part of that, Michael. So, Craig, talk to me about what was happening in your life six and a half years ago when you made the decision to come into recovery. Well, my last drink and drunk was uh, Halloween 2014. I had taken to drinking on the way home. I had a couple glasses of wine with my wife. I had a beer or two and was sitting at the counter in the uh, kitchen. And she came in to me and said, I was just with my hands on my chin, just in a daze. And she said, what is wrong with you? And I said, nothing. And I proceeded to collapse and fall into bed. But Afterwards, I found out that I was handing Halloween candy out in my underwear at 9.30 at night and uh, in a full, full blackout that I couldn't even remember. So when I staggered into my first AA meeting on November 1st, uh, it took me a while to realize that even though I was walking in there alone and completely humiliated, that... Uh, Something bigger than myself was carrying me, even when I stumbled into that chair, sat down, and just thought my life was completely over. And that turned out to not be the case. Is that right? It sure did. It sure did. Uh, To be able to have a group of drunks, G-O-D, following good orderly direction, I hear more of a higher power out of those group of drunks than I did in the 57 years that I went to church every Sunday in my shirt and tie and looking all proper. But uh, underneath, I was a mess. Had you been uh, drinking and, and out there long? I would say I started drinking not heavily when I was 18 or 19, and I came in at 57. And I really didn't start amping up until I started hiding my liquor in the grass catcher of the lawnmower and the hosta bushes outside and the kids pool toys. Then I started drinking in the car. You know what 110 degree vodka tastes like in the middle of August? It burns either way going down, but uh, yeah, no, no normal drinker drinks the way I was when I finished up those, that tirade. Yeah, that, that's painful to think about. So you walked into your first meeting and um, tell me what that experience was like. What, what began this journey? I woke up around quarter after five that Saturday morning, was looking for AA meetings. And that was the first time I ever said to my wife, um, I'm Craig, I'm an alcoholic, help me find a meeting. And she said, what did you do to your eye? And I had no idea. But uh, come to find out, I had either fallen on the armchair uh, or the windowsill. So I had a black eye and a burned hand when I stumbled into my first meeting. And I, again, Michael, it was a rainy Saturday morning. I walked in, I sat in the chair, and I couldn't look anybody in the face. But I could tell you what kind of shoes you had on. And I think there was a speaker there, but it sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wham, 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 wham. I understood nothing. 
I didn't hear a preamble. I didn't hear a daily reflection. I didn't hear the speaker. I didn't hear the Lord's Prayer. I was just hoping that I wasn't going to get sick and fall off my chair. It wasn't until my second meeting uh, at St. Mary Hospital in Langhorn that I had showered, I had a pair of sunglasses on, and I walked in the back door, and a man came up to me and said, welcome, you never have to feel like this again. And that was my journey. That was my start of being my how, honest, open, and willing. I'm assuming you stayed in and and began to work the steps. My first sponsor, we would get together quite often. And he said, you know what, Craig, I, I think that you have steps two and three. I just am not positive that you have step one yet. Because every meeting I had gone to, I heard people that had lost their jobs, lost their spouses, lost their homes, Uh, DUIs, uh, going to treatment centers, going to jail, being pulled over by the cops. I did not have that type of background. So I thought, well, maybe I'm not an alcoholic after all. Then I come to realize that my story is my story, and I don't have to compare myself to anyone. And when I started rationalizing it that way, someone said to me, Craig, you need to decide what side of the fence you're on and stick to it. And I've stayed on the AA side since then. Yeah. Step one is so essential. It's crucial. Tell me about your step one experience today. Do you feel like you've, you've gotten that concept of a step one? Well, you know, thank you. Um, I was going to elaborate some more that in the early days, every meeting that I had gone to, when you raise your hand, when they ask, are you new to AA? And are you new to this meeting? For the first month, I put my hand up to every single question and they did step one. I don't find that a lot with meetings today that when someone is brand new that they revert back to step one, but you know, they did it for me. Those four pages um, in the 12 and 12, the rapacious creditor, uh, John Barleycorn, I had no idea who and what John Barleycorn was coming into this program. But I know today that my life is and continue to be unmanageable, that liquor had me, and uh, I was powerless. At the end, I didn't want to have a drink. I had to have a drink. There was a big, big difference there, you know, and uh, I could be the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We read there is a solution today, and Page 24, the big book really gets me when it says we have no more defense over taking the first drink than what? Putting our hand on a hot stove. I related to that. Truly, truly. That's my story. It's in print. Look, just ask. Well, because you did, didn't you? I mean, you came in with a black eye and a burnt hand. Yeah, you remember. I do. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about your your program today, Craig. What, What does it look like today? Well, you know, it's it's been a really difficult year for everyone, Michael, with with uh, the virus, uh, you know, the COVID and going on Zoom. But I have to say, my home group, Langhorn Sunrisers, our last in-person meeting was on my birthday, March 21st, on a Saturday. And that Monday, March 23rd, we started with our Zoom meeting. 
and it has been awesome uh, having people that are from New Hampshire, from Kentucky, from Texas, from Hawaii, from Alaska, all over the place. And it also was kind of easy just rolling out of bed at 10 minutes to six, turning the coffee on, not having to get in the car and drive in the snow or the rain. But even though it was there six days a week, it kind of took its toll. Maybe in the last three or four months, I haven't really been on that AA bean. Thank God I have a sponsee. I have a technical sponsee, one in, in Long Island, New York. I have a very good friend who's been going through uh, problems in Sioux City, Iowa. So it's given me that opportunity to get out of myself. And we just actually started today back in live meetings at uh, Sunrisers and are doing a uh, blended uh, meeting with both Zoom and uh, hybrid meetings. So it's been, it was exciting to get the hugs uh, back again. Awesome. So, uh, so it sounds like you hit a rough patch and uh, staying close to the service, staying close to others in AA, staying close to meetings kind of pulled you back in. Had there been other times during your last six and a half years that you kind of felt like you were drifting away? No, uh, I don't believe that has been the case. I think we have ebb and flows depending on where we are when in life, in our working life, in our home life, in our family life. We have highs and we have lows. I went through cancer treatment not too long after I came into the program with prostate cancer. I had a, a child uh, go through divorce had a spouse who had retired and then I retired that spiritual connection that I got with with God uh, about 90 days after coming into the program when he lifted that obsession I haven't had that inkling or or that need or that want or that draw or that pull to pick up a drink in the very beginning person people places and things if i didn't belong being there i wasn't i didn't go you know if there was a family function yes if friends were going out to a bar and i was newly sober i don't think i should go to this and some of those things scared me business trips that i had usually gone on that it was a drinking frenzy from the time i started decided not to go in the first year or so i I did not want to jeopardize what was so freely given to me. I did. I certainly, I got this gift and I am willing to share it, but I am not willing to give it away. So I, I don't think that I've been tempted or tested uh, because I, I, I have several times where I've had spiritual connections and spiritual experiences over the last six years. But I don't believe there has been any time that I felt as if I was going to pick up a drink. And I've said this to you and others, if I put my hand out to take that drink, I want my hand to burn like my hand burned when I first came into the program. That's a powerful metaphor. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual practice. Craig, were you a religious person? Did you have spirit in your life prior to coming into the program? You know, I've always believed in God from the time that I was four or five years old. I was raised Presbyterian, and my mother used to put the little 
little bow tie on me, and I'd go off to church with my dad to Sunday school and church, and we would uh, uh, bond. My wife and I would uh, got married in the church, kids baptized in the church. I was a deacon in the church, an elder in the church. But towards the end, I was going to and moderating deacon meetings drunk. I had alluded to the point where I knew that my human body on here was not doing any of the things that I had learned about uh, in church and, and being moral, being truthful, being honest, being anything but pure. So, yes, I was what you would call a pillar of the church. But behind closed doors, watch it, because um, I was scared when I came into AA, when they talked about higher power and God. I knew who God was. God, to me, was not an angry, vengeful, uh, vindictive God, where so many people feel that as, as the way they were raised. I know I have a loving, spiritual connection now. But I had to rekindle that relationship again. It was new to me. Uh, that Monday that I, my second day sober, I went to the church and talked to my pastor, told him I was coming into AA. And do you know, every single month on my anniversary, he would email me and say, happy first month, two months, three months, up to a year. And for the last six years, we talk or we go out to breakfast. And I just feel like, I am not hiding from God anything that I thought I was doing while drinking. He knew what I was doing. And I knew he knew what I was doing and I didn't like it. So I ignored it. And it's a lot different now. A lot different. I, I like the concept of, you know, God being there throughout the entire thing, the good, the bad. And and then maybe maybe even the concept that God brought you to AA to bring you back to him. What do you think about that? I had to have a little bit of time in the program before I acknowledged the fact that God has been with me always. I didn't feel as if anyone was with me when I staggered into that first meeting, November 1st in the rain. It wasn't until later. Um, you you know that that poem, Footprints in the Sand? Where were you, God, that I was struggling when I only had one set of footprints in the sand? And God said, that was when I was carrying you. And I know he was carrying me. There had been another time that was my first day of getting radiation treatments for prostate cancer. And if you've ever had uh, radiation treatments before, they lay you on a table and they put you into this cubicle. And up on the ceiling, there was a plus sign because they put these tattoos on you and they line you up each and every time you go in. Well, I had to get 45 treatments, nine weeks worth of it. And it was 20 minutes, Monday through Friday. And when they lined me up, I looked at that plus sign. And to me, it looked like a cross. And I said the serenity prayer and got 20 minutes of the most uninterrupted sleep that I had had all day long. I just had a calming effect. I just knew that what I was doing and in sobriety at the same time was helping me. Interesting timing. You, you being in recovery and getting a, a new concept, a new perspective on 
a higher power just in time to to kind of carry you through that procedure. I'm I'm glad you had a positive outcome, by the way. Yeah, it's still good. Thank you. Thinking about the newcomer, do you have advice for folks that uh, that might be thinking they need to change their way of life? I see people that when they come in, they're broken. They are scared. They have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And these are individuals that I know are just fresh off the boat. You know, their first couple of meetings are fresh out of treatment, or they might have a piece of paper in their hand. There are some people that I can now recognize are in it to win it and in it to just shut the judge up, shut the, shut the cops up, sign the paper, and let me get the hell out of here. If I see someone with an expression of, of terror, bewilderment in their eyes, uh, emotions, being able to just let it out and say, I don't know how I ever got this bad. I think the first thing that I do to any newcomer, and regardless of their background or history, is I do the same thing for them that was done for me. I put my hand out. I say, you never have to feel like this again. Let's get a cup of coffee. Why don't you sit here next to me? And we'll get through the meeting. And then we spend a little bit of time afterwards. We exchange phone numbers. I'll ask if they're local. Uh, I don't throw anything at them any more than unless they want to talk after the meeting and leave it at that. Um, maybe call them the next day. And if they continue coming to meetings, then we introduce things a little bit more. What did you learn today? Or um, how do you feel about, you know, recovery so far? What questions do you have? You know, what's your family like? And, and just ask a little bit more and delve and let them know that there are people out there who care because that's what was done to me. Yeah, that's. I think that's the best approach. I'm tempted to ask you to uh, to talk about your your meeting. Um, I know that in every possible meeting that I go to, that there's a sunriser, there's a plug. So uh, <laughs> I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your home group and and uh, sunrise. It's a great meeting. Do you want to share with the listeners? Sure, Lighthorn Sunrisers. We meet Monday through Saturday at six a.m. We also have a meeting before the meeting. And so if you want to come and do the third and seven step prayer, uh, we're now available live and in person at St. James Church in Langhorn, uh, Pennsylvania. But we are also on Zoom and we will continue to do that. Today, we had a total of 42 people. And, and Michael, I've been to your sunrise semester quite often where 42 is no big deal. Uh, 48, 50 people on your meeting is awesome. And we have our host of characters. Um, we have uh, one of the guys said best, best coffee in Bucks County and it's best home group around. And we all know Ricardo Mitchell and uh, he is near and dear to all of our hearts and uh, can also get under our skin really well. We all are different. I would not have been friends with any of them but every single one of them I have in my phone directory at this point. I probably talk to three or four alcoholics from Langhorn Sunrisers a day. 
I might go boating in the afternoon with one of them, go into one of their restaurants in Langhorn and have dinner in another. I might uh, do a food drive with the third uh, to help out at our church. Might take a walk uh, around the around the park with another uh, Langhorn Sunriser uh, fellow. Might go on men's retreats with friends of mine that I would have never expected to socialize with. Sunrisers uh, does Monday and Friday, either Big Book or 12 and 12, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We either do Came to Believe, uh, Living Sober, or we read Out of the Grapevine, and Saturday is always a speaker meeting. So we are diverse in our group and also diverse in our readings. Fantastic. And it sounds like uh, the fellowship aspect of, of your program, and I mean the program in general, Wonderful. What a what a great addition to your already full life. So um, thanks for sharing all of that information. And we'll include links in the show notes. Craig, before we wrap, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know? Yes. I And I'm glad I thought about this. I don't think I would be where I am sitting in my house uh, with my wife of almost 42 years had it not been for Al-Anon. I used to curse Al-Anon out because it was 10 or 11 years before I came into the program and my wife needed to go to Al-Anon in order to deal with me. Uh, Those were some of my best drinking nights when she'd pull out of the parking lot. And there were very many times that we were going to be on the outs and be divorced. And she finally told me that, you know what, when we got married, we took a vow and there were three of us at that wedding me, you, and God, and I haven't let up on God, and God has not wanted me to let up and give up on you. Even though she was looking to financially keep herself stable, she was looking at other housing, she was trying to keep herself safe from me. Um, But you know what? I also think that it was Al-Anon, and those Al-Anon people that gave me an opportunity to know that there are others out there who will love me exactly for who and what I am, drunk and all. And uh, we stand to stay together. We'll be married 42 years in July. And I love my wife for the fact that she did not give up on me either. Well, Craig, thanks so much for spending time with me and sharing your experience, strength and hope. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.